Good day and welcome to Film Exploration with Ash Hurry. And for today's episode, we look at one of the last decade's top rated films of all time. We're going to continue season seven looking at films with women as strong, complex leads. And today's film certainly portrays a sadistic, intimidating women indeed. Today's film is none other than the 2014 thriller Gone Girl. Adapted from a novel by Gillian Flynn and directed by David Fincher, the film stars Ben Affleck, Rosamund Pike, Tyler Perry, Carrie Coon and Neil Patrick Harris. Over the years of Hollywood, women have now and again been the subject of victimisation or a prized possession in a film that provokes the development of our hero, usually a man, to restore the balance in the film. This happens all the time in the past and it is still happening now. What cinema is trying to do now is establish strong, realistic, complex female characters that break this macho norm and start to break this stereotype of roles for women. We want to be able to see a different story of what women are in films rather than being the victim, the possession, or rather just the damsel in distress. Now, that term, damsel in distress, dates back all the way to the 17th century. It's a very common phrase now, or term, in general literature and conventional storytelling. It's not just books, but in films, TV shows, and even games. Damsel literally means young lady from the French word demoiselle. It's an outdated term, if anything, used in today's language as an expression more than anything else. The term grew momentum as Greek mythology was on the scene and soon spiralled into the 17th and 18th literature like the Spanish Lady. And in Samuel Richardson's Clarissa in 1748, which is seemingly where the first use of the term was coined in English literature. From then on, and more notably, Disney follows suit and introduced Disney princesses, who are usually the centre of the story, but only as a prized possession, who are locked in a tower, helplessly, while the men fights his way to the prized possession and lands a kiss to restore the so-called balance of the story. Take Sleeping Beauty or Snow White, for example. However, with time comes change, and with change comes perception on how outdated this kind of philosophy is. 1919 was when women could vote thanks to the suffragette marches and protests and five years prior and up to 1919 we had this march and protest which which actually you know created change. Uh, 13 years later American had their first woman elected to senate a year after that we had the first woman to hold a cabinet position in the White House but then it was another 30 years until the equal rights bill was passed and that's 1962 I mean by then Hollywood had been alive for 40 years plus and we still were seeing damsels and distresses men leading the way but people started to open their eyes and see that something was wrong and what's more imperative was that people started to actually treat women as equals as a person who had a voice who had talent And because of that, Hollywood started to get in the mix, and then we flooded in with Audrey Hepburn, the Elizabeth Taylors, Verna Fields, who won Best Editor for Jaws. It was shifting, but, you know, you look at today, we look at the films and we see a Marvel universe with 90 men dominated by a male, macho-driven cast who needs to help women and come out on top. And that's 2020, almost 100 years after Hollywood, uh, right when, you know, when America said women could vote to have a say. I mean, are we moving backwards or are we just unable to portray an equal world? Is it just easier to accept that we have to have men leading the way in films? I mean, is it about equality? Is it about legality? Is it about having a voice? Or is it about someone doing something about it? You know, it's just really hard. I mean, it's clearly evident that films with strong female characters are good and they work just as well as the Marvel Universe, if not more critically compl- uh, acclaimed. It seems to be a slow cycle, but it's in motion. And if anything, it's getting faster. However, when the majority of films are showing men, 
There are some that stand out from the rest, some that don't portray women as trophy wives, as the damsel in distress, but instead as something else entirely. 1939 saw Judy Garland go down the yellow brick road, Julie Andrews in The Sound of Music, Audrey Hepburn in Breakfast at Tiffany's, Elizabeth Taylor's Cleopatra, Janet Leigh as Marion Crane in Psycho, Scarlett O'Hara, Woody Allen's Annie Hall. And the list keeps going on, you know, up all, in, all, all the way to the 70s with Ridley Scott's Ellen Ripley in Alien. Disney's Mulan, Stranger Things is Eleven, Xena Warrior Princess, Sharon Stone in Basic Instinct. And the frequency of this strong female character are now taking a steep incline as we turned or turn into the 21st century. These films don't just show what women can do besides be the victim, but what a strong, complex female character can do if given the opportunity to explore the female psyche, if anything, is more, it's just more interesting because we haven't seen it in much and it makes the film more thrilling, engaging, and dare I say, a better watch. I mean, the proof is in the pudding. Take Alien, Sound of Music, Wizard of Oz, Cleopatra, Annie Hall. All films that have lasted the test of time, and you can't deny why. And this brings me nicely to Rosamund Pike's performance as the manipulating Amy Dunn in Gone Girl. So when David Fincher takes the hot seat in the director's chair, you know you're going to want to watch this film. You're going to want to pay attention. One of the most critically acclaimed directors of our time. The proof that quality trumps quantity is certainly living in his soul. His small resume, in fact, it's more impressive considering the lack of bad films the man has done. He started his career doing you know, music videos. He directed a lot of music videos, Madonna, uh, Meatloaf, and got his big break directing Sigourney Weaver in the third Aliens movie. Now, it was a failure, cut and dry. Almost facing, you know, another career. He was, you know, his shot at redemption was taken, you know, in full steam when he, you know, when he directed the 1995 film Seven. So he directed Aliens 3, his career was going in the toilet, and he had a chance of redemption, and he had full quality control over 7. Aliens 3, he, I think the studio kind of took over there, but 7, with Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman, he had full control. Soon Fight Club, Social Network, Zodiac, Benjamin Button, and Panic Room follow, with the added bonus of the Netflix TV series Mindhunters. He recently directed a remake of Stig Larsson's novel The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo in the 2021 Academy Award film Manx. So David finds the material makes it his own. And that's exactly what he did with Gillian Flynn's novel Gone Girl. So Nick Dunn's wife has disappeared and the spotlight is on finding Amy, a once famous children's author. But as the case develops, the spotlight turns on Nick, who people will think may be responsible for his wife's disappearance. The film is a classic whodunit from the get-go, but soon breaks the mystery genre in someone more manipulative and daring, where the film plays with the audience's thoughts only for the first half of the movie, and then lands the big bombshell of the question we all want answer halfway through the movie. He then allows the movie to experiment, not just with Nick, but with Amy and her side, as we see this film take many twists and turns in Amy and Nick's life. Gillian Flynn actually wrote the novel back in 2012 and received a lot of attention. It was immediately um, bought by actress Reese Witherspoon about seven months after its release. She bought the rights for a generous sum. By doing this, she would be able to secure the role of Amy herself if the film ever got made, as she was a massive fan of the novel. When David Fincher got involved, he had a very long chat with Reese Witherspoon and said he had a vision for his character of Amy and it wasn't her. And she agreed, much to her disappointment. She did stay on as a producer for the film. The adaptation of the screenplay was written by the author herself. Upon searching for the role of Amy, David and the production team went through a long list 
including Charlize Theron, Natalie Portman, Emily Blunt, Rooney Mara, Olivia Wilde and Abby Cornish. It wasn't until 35-year-old British actress Rosamund Pike eventually landed on the radar. According to Fincher, the reason she was casted was because Rosamund had a look where you couldn't guess her age. She could look 21 or she could look 45, and that was extremely vital for the complexity of Amy. With Ben Affleck, again, many actors came up before him, but how David Fincher lands his roles, he goes online and he looks at photos of actors, and he come, I think one night he came across Ben Affleck and he had this sort of smile in one of his photos, a smile that, according to David Fincher, was just so enigmatic, he didn't know if it was genuine or fake, and he said he needed that for the misdirection of the first half of the movie and therefore casted Ben Affleck. Ben Affleck, of course, the director himself, was about to shoot his passion project, Live By Night, which he eventually made after the shooting of this movie. He was actually quite busy because he just got casted for Batman as well. Um, and it's a film that he was going to star, write and direct in later on. Um, but yeah, he put the entire production of Live By Night on hold just so he could work with David Fincher. He said he couldn't think of any other director in where the director can do everyone else's jobs better than they can. So he accepted the role immediately. He proved that, that sort of theory of his, that this director can do anything by making a little bet with a crew member on set of Gone Girl by adjusting the camera lens by a small amount and sure enough, when they started filming, David says, why is the camera a little dim? So Ben Affleck happily accepted the role. You'll notice his weight fluctuates in this movie from medium average build to overweight to muscular. And this was just because, like I said earlier, he'd just been casted as Batman and it was on a really extreme weight diet at the time. So it's a refreshing take on this film is that we see both sides of the story from the husband and the wife. We, um, you know, we eventually find out and spoiler alert that Amy has set this whole act up just to frame her husband for her potential murder. The villainous, merciless Amy acts as a very unlikable villain and where her agenda is just to get back at her husband for his betrayal for cheating on her. Female villains are hardly explored in film, and they are. They are somewhat relatable. Someone called the bride a villain in Kill Bill. I mean, she's the main character who is liable, and we sympathize with her. This is the level it's come to. We have to bend the rules to find a woman villain in Hollywood now. Most of the ones I saw mentioned in this article are relatable or likable, but, you know, like Maleficent or The Bride or Natalie Portman in Black Swan. I mean, this is where the problem lies. They aren't really villains, are they? But with Gone Girl, we actually have a raw female villain who isn't likable, who we can't relate to, and is just evil personified. I mean, Rosamund Pike actually goes to play another character where we have trouble relating to or liking, and that's I Care A Lot, which was on Amazon Prime at the moment. I think she won a Golden Globe for that role. She ended up getting an Oscar nomination for her role as Amy Dunn, but I don't think she won the role, uh, the Oscar. It was the film's only Oscar nomination at the Academy Awards, but don't take anything away from this film because the film is considered one of the best thrillers ever made, ranked 190 on the IMDb Top 250 list. It's actually David Finch's third film on that list after Seven and Fight Club, although I think Mank is on there too now. With Rosamund getting the film's only Oscar nomination for this film, this continues the trend that David Fincher has set, which is that he has a film, I think this is the fourth consecutive film he's done, that's got an Oscar nomination for acting. Um, I think Brad and Taraji got it for Benjamin Button, Jesse Eisenberg for Social Network, and Rooney Mara for Girl of the Dragon Tattoo. And it's now five since both Gary Oldman and Amanda Seyfried both got nominations for Mank. So whatever film he does next, have high expectations at the Academy Awards. Apparently it's a film called The Killer, which is in pre-production and it stars Michael Fassbender, but no other details have been given to the plot of the movie. 
So yeah, Gillian Flynn does not shy away from writing these villains at all. In fact, it's one of three books where the main villain is a woman. She was actually uh, she was accused. I read the other day of being misogynistic since the villains of her novels, Gone Girl, Sharp Objects, and Dark Places, have all been female, which I think is a bit stupid. I mean, this is particularly true of the psychotic Amy Dunn, the villain who fuels the Jeopardy in Gone Girl. But what she said was, to me, that puts a very, very small window on what feminism is, she says. It is really only girl power and you go girl and empower yourself and be the best you can be. For me, it's also the ability to have women who are bad characters. The one thing that really frustrates me is that this idea that women are innately good, innately uh, nurturing. In literature... I mean, this can be dismiss. You know, this can be very bad. You know, girls can be uh, seen as like trampy, vampy, bitchy types. But there's a, but there's still a big pushback against the idea that women can just be pragmatically evil, bad, and selfish. Uh, she says, "I just don't write psycho bitches. The psycho bitch is just crazy. She has no motive, and she's a dismissible person because of her psycho bitchness." I think she wrote this on her website and she concedes that it's not a particularly flattering portrait for women, but that's fine by me and it should be for everyone else. I mean, it is the time to acknowledge the ugly sides of women. I've grown quite weary of the spunky heroines, brave rape victims, soul-searching fascinists that stock so many books. I particularly mourn the lack of female villains, if I'm honest. It should probably be added that her lurid plot makes no claims to social realism. To interpret her evil female characters as someone representative of their real-life gender, you must willfully overlook hundreds of pages of other people, which is so true. You have to say, though, that you can only agree with what she said and hope that we have more writers and directors that will truly explore complex female characters. Did you know that Gillian Flynn was actually going to call this book Psycho Bitch with an exclamation mark? But she she just changed her mind. However, David Fincher pays tribute to that title because um, he mentions this in the movie, which was some like banter between Ben and Rosamund in the movie. One thing is to be said, though, that a true villain in cinema, whether it will be Hans Lander, Hans Gruber, the alien and aliens, or Amy Dunn in Gone Girl, the dedication needs to be there to successfully convince the audience that you are the devil personified, and Rosamund Pike did exactly that in this movie. Some of the scenes in this movie were particularly uncomfortable for her to do. I mean, the famous sex scene at the end where she kills Neil Patrick Harris's character was apparently rehearsed with just two of them in the closed room, which was what the director said to do. And she said in an interview, I mean, usually you're surrounded by 30 people when doing a a love scene, but we were told to be completely alone and spend two hours rehearsing it, which is particularly awkward when you both have husbands. According to her interviewer, though, uh, she said that she would rehearse sex scenes with a Dora the Explorer doll at home, which is a bit... Weird, but I guess, you know, the demands to uh, get the movie role right and that scene right is everything, especially because it's a massive twist in the movie. I mean, throughout the film, I mean, Rosamund Pike lost and gained £13 to play Amy at different times in the movie. I mean, to gain the weight, she just ate cheeseburgers and ice creams and to lose the weight, she took up boxing for four hours a day and ran five miles in 42 minutes most days, which is really good. Ben Affleck also stripped off for this movie as well. This was the first time he had done a full frontal nudity for a film. He said if he was going to do it, it had to be done tastefully, and David assured him that it would be. He didn't want this film to be hidden. He wanted it to be kind of with a European tone. He wanted it. He wanted the film to be intimate, and he says 
you know, as he puts it, warts and all. <laughs> Gone Girl is probably one of those films that invites you to someone's life and then provokes you to second guess everything you see. But unlike most mystery or crime dramas, you don't need to wait till the end for the big reveal. We get that right at the halfway point, like uh, like Psycho does. There are many clues if you really pay attention to the film's development. I mean, there's a scene, I think around an hour and 14 minutes, in where Margot and Nick are chatting and then conversation, uh, their conversation. And I have no idea if this is, is intentional or not, but it basically sums up the entire movie from beginning to end. And this scene is at the halfway point. They do the kind of... They do the same thing in the uh, Cornetto and Blood trilogies with um, Nick Frost and Simon Pegg, where they give you the entire film's uh, plot right at the beginning of the movie in some mundane conversation. But yeah, speaking of Margot, I mean, Carrie Coon, I think this was a debut role. She was great casting for the twin sister. It was actually um, <coughs> one of her first films. It's also not a coincidence that with another scene with Margot and Nick, I think it's right at the start of the movie, and you can see with the mise-en-scene some board games in the background, and they happen to give us a nod of what is to come. So you see the board games such as Mastermind, Emergency, Let's Make a Deal, and The Game of Life. I mean, if those are not big hints, but you have to really look for them. Um, I mean, whether you think the film is misogynistic, a feminist film, or rather a fucked up marriage, as Tanner Bolt says, there is no denying the craft in terms of filmmaking in this movie. And the main catalyst for this is Rosamund Pike's performance as Amy Dunn. It's a female psychopath against a misogynistic jerk, which works out to be a twisted marriage that soon, you know, soon reasons to compromise under extreme action i mean the film really doesn't hold back and it doesn't really have any heroes in this film we follow no moral compass in the main characters both characters seem to lie cheat and manipulate each other and get in the upper hand the fact that the only decent character morally is desi neil patrick harris's character he gets killed and that just portrays the message that these are damaged people and the world isn't perfect no matter how nice you are it's safe to assume if you have watched this film that if you think this film is a feminist manifesto or sexist portrayal of a crazy woman, the correct answer is both of them. And that's what makes Gillian Flynn's Gone Girl a masterpiece on so many levels. But anyways, that's all I have time for with Gone Girl. Uh, time will probably call this film a classic. We call it a damn good movie right now. And hopefully this film starts a sequence of inspirations for future films to come in terms of strong female characters. But you can subscribe to me on iTunes, Googles, and I'm on Spotify as well. And you can follow me on Instagram, Film Exploration, A-H, or lowercase or one word. And once again, thank you for listening to Film Exploration with Ash Hurry. Thank you.